Well, if you have your Bibles, open it to Philippians chapter 4. And we'll conclude this epistle. And let's start reading. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, and then we'll finish it a little bit later. It says, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Iodia, and I plead with Synthetia, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Beautiful verses, just rich and powerful in so many areas. And I I hope the Spirit will minister to us just some of the depth of what is here. And starting off in verse 1, it's really beautiful how Paul says, Therefore, my brothers... You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Boy, talk about just a a beautiful expression of endearment. You don't find this anywhere else in Paul's writings like you do here. You see a connection to those at Philippi like no other. And these things that he talks about them are just so rich in his love for them. And it's real important to, to just understand this whole epistle has been one that has been endearing as compared to... Corinthians that we've been going through in the past that really is, you know, there's that sense of love, but there's also this sense of I've got to establish doctrinal things. I've got to rebuke you in certain areas. This is very exhortive in how he presents it. But then he goes on and he says, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. And we've got to find out what that means, because what do, what do you mean? How is How are we supposed to stand? And so we have to go back to chapter Three and look a little bit, and we'll we'll start at verse seventeen. And, and I want you, I want to ask you this question. I'm asking you this question so that you can give me the answer, okay? Just so you know ahead of time. What is he talking about when he says that is that is how you should stand firm in the Lord? What is? And we're going to read what is. So after we read it, it's kind of open book test, okay? You guys can jump in. It says. Join with others in verse 17 of chapter 3 in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So 
So now the question is, how are we to stand firm in the Lord? In those verses that he just gave us, what do you get from that? What, what in those verses is our connection to how we stand firm in the Lord? Don't be shy. Yes, Rosemary. Okay. Eagerly waiting. And by the way, there's, there's probably not a wrong answer. If you just kind of go through these things. So don't, don't feel embarrassed. But yes, we're eagerly waiting for the Lord. In fact, 1 John, just in touching on that, 1 John chapter 3, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. There's that eagerly awaiting. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So that waiting, that longing for the Lord, is going to be part of how we stand firm. We're waiting for someone. We're having hope in that. Any other things in those verses that stand out to you? As for how we should stand firm in the Lord. Okay. And that's what he talks about, our citizenship, right? Our citizenship is hev in heaven. Theirs is on earthly things. We see the contrast. Ours is on heavenly things, and that's why we're waiting for our Messiah to come. Um, anything else? See, because this is really the kind of things like, okay, I want you guys to stand firm in the Lord. Okay, I want to stand firm too, but how do I stand firm? What, what is going to help me to stand firm? And these are the things. He talks about the example that he gave. And we know Paul's example because we've seen it in the book of Acts and we see it throughout the epistles that he's written. We know that example, how it's been displayed. His selfless giving of himself. That's redundant, but giving of himself selflessly to the gospel and to others. Um, we see that he did have that kind of attitude and mindset where he set his mind on heavenly things and not on earthly things. It also says, as we're waiting on the Lord Jesus Christ, as we're eagerly awaiting for him, it tells us that who, Jesus, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we'll be able, we will be like his glorious body. If he's able to bring all things under his control, does that include us? See, we're waiting for him. He has the ability to bring all things under control. Jude says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. As we wait on Jesus, remember, waiting doesn't mean twiddling our thumbs and just, okay, he'll be here, you know, in the year 2012 if the movies are right. You know, uh, it means that we are anticipating him. We are looking on him. We are ready for him. And so the idea of waiting on the Lord is anticipating all that he is and is going to bring for us. And he's able to bring all things under control, and that includes us. And you see, that's how we stand firm, as being under the Lord's control. And this idea of citizenship that you touched on, Rosemary, this, this eagerly awaiting for him and, and being aware of these heavenly things that you guys mentioned, 
that is carried throughout the next chapter. And if we don't have this perspective of our citizenship is in heaven, we'll really, a lot of the verses that we read will be disconnected to the meaning. And they're good verses, but having that understanding of this is all about our citizenship in heaven, having that recognition of where we are, who our Lord is, and that we are subject to him is what moves us into this next place. In fact, the verse 2, I plead for these two people, Iodia and Synthache, to agree with each other in the Lord. Okay, what's going on? And I, I love, first of all, that he says to agree with each other in the Lord. It gives a boundary of what they have to agree on. It doesn't mean one can be a Saints fan and one's you know, has to be a, a Saints fan too. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, you can root for the Colts or the Rams or, you know, whoever. I heard you guys talking earlier. Uh, it, it's not like you have to agree about everything, but in the Lord. And again, it connects back to this idea of the citizenship, this mindfulness of who we are, what citizen or what citizen of what country we belong to, what country we are citizens of. They need to agree on those things in the Lord, those things that connect us to that kingdom, to that heavenly realm. They have to agree on those things. And we don't know what the problem was with these two ladies, this contention that's going on. And, he, and then he goes on, he says, verse 3, yes, these, I ask you, loyal yoke, fo, yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. And so he's asking those at Philippi, help these ladies out. We don't know what was going on. I, you know, it's the gossip part of me that wants to know. What were they contending about? You know? What was the issue? Because I'm sure we have those issues today. I think of times where I know people in our community who have pet peeves with one another. They don't like something about someone at the church. How they do things, it irks them. It annoys them. It, you know, grates on them. Those things. I mean, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Or am I getting a little too honest here? There, there are people that we have a hard time with sometimes. And he says, you guys, help them out. How can we help people out who have these kinds of issues with one another? With some things. If you know, maybe you can draw from your life experiences. When you see two people who have an issue with one another about, you know, how things are done, I, I don't like the way, you know, that person sings, I don't like, whatever it might be, how, how do you help someone out like that? has to do with this idea of citizenship and, and that, just a little hint. Come on, wake up. Uh, talk, it, it out. Hmm? talk it out. Talk it out. What is the common ground? The citizenship of heaven in the Lord. The common ground are the things that are pertaining to God that are foundational, that don't change. The gospel. Jesus has come and died for my sins. Jesus has risen again. Uh, Jesus is 
the living word of God. He is what connects us to God. Because of Jesus, we now have access into the very presence of God. You see, those are the things that make us citizens of heaven. Those are the things that we have in common. And so, hey, you guys, recognize that you are brothers, you are sisters in the Lord, that you are family, and recognize how important eternal things are and how not so important the other things are. They're peripheral. Don't make big deals out of little things. Now, I got to tell you, that sounds real easy here, but if you've dealt with people, you know, and if you have issues yourself, you know how hard it is to let go of certain things. I know of people that are Christian and they are both followers of Christ and they cannot get along. And I have sat and been trying to bring peace to them, be peacemakers, which is really what we're talking about here. This idea that, you know, Jesus talked about in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, they will inherit the earth. But it's so hard sometimes. I mean, I've sat there and I just thought, wait a second, you're a follower of Christ and you're a follower of Christ. Why is this happening? And it's so difficult sometimes to be able to bring peace into a situation. And sometimes we do need help. Sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need someone else to put their arm around us and say, hey, 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 get your eyes off of this and put them on this. Remember, you're a citizen of this kingdom. This is what's important. So don't bring contention about this. Let's focus on this. And, and he asks them to come around because having unity is very important to the Lord. It's very, we see it as a thread throughout the scripture. We see it in the book of Acts. Whenever the spirit was moving, there was this unity of the believers that was there and the spirit would fall and power them. And so it's an important part of our identity as believers. And, and so he tells them to come alongside because they were people who fellow worked, they were contenders for the faith with Paul, alongside with him for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Again, he says, your names are in the book of life. What are you worrying about? Why are you contending about these little things? And so keep this focus in mind. And then in verse four, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Again, this is all connected back to who you are and what nation you are a citizen of. You see, because if I am a nation or a citizen of the kingdom of God, I have reason to rejoice. I have reason to have unity in the Lord. I have this common ground. And so just as they can be of the same mind or agree with each other in the Lord, I can also rejoice in the Lord. And then he repeats it again, I say rejoice. Now, having an idea of being able to rejoice in the Lord, it affects who you are. It affects your character. It, it, it helps you to have the right attitude. You see, if you're rejoicing in the Lord, you can't be complaining about your brother or sister. Why? Because I'm rejoicing in the Lord, and the idea has that of joy. It has, you know, have joy in the Lord. 
you have reason to be joyful. So make that, and you know, we look at this as just, oh, rejoice in the Lord, but really this is a command. Rejoice in the Lord. It's one of those commands we don't think of as a command because can't make me rejoice, I refuse, you know. I'm gonna... Just like praise the Lord. We take it as, you know, something you just say, but it's actually a command. When we see it in scripture, it's a command for us to praise God. And this is a command for us to rejoice in the Lord. It must be important if it's a command. And think of how it would affect your life if you rejoiced in the Lord always. How it would affect your relationship with the people you talk to. And if you were one of these ladies, and if you were rejoicing in the Lord, it makes it real difficult to complain. I mean, we're going to see that later on. He says to bring everything to the Lord with prayer, petition with thanksgiving. It kind of frames how we're supposed to do this. Because if we're thankful, if we're rejoicing, we can't be complaining. If we're rejoicing, it takes away that idea of contention. And again, how do we rejoice in the Lord? What about circumstances that we go through? What about the difficulties? And we all have them. You know, the struggles we have with our loved ones, the, the difficulties we have with health issues, financial issues. I mean, whatever those things are, when you find out that, you know, someone you love has cancer or you find out um, just the heart hard things in life that break your heart. How do you rejoice in the Lord and can you? You see, rejoicing in the Lord doesn't mean you don't emotionally cry, doesn't mean you aren't sorrowful, doesn't mean you don't hurt. But what it does do is connects you back to what is going to last. And you guys, we have to remember this, that our citizenship is in heaven. Colossians 3 tells us to set our affections on the things above, not on the things of earth. That the things above are the things that are going to last and the things of this earth are going to pass away. And so we have to have that understanding. And if we have that understanding, we can rejoice in the Lord even when things are going just awful right here on earth. Why? Because... Jesus gives us a joy that can't be taken away. The joy I give no man will be able to take away. Why? Because it belongs to you. It, it's eternal. It lasts. It's solid. It's foundational. It is real. Everything else will pass away. It'll fade. And so connecting to the joy that lasts and rejoicing in the Lord is a command that we need to remember. And, and I would encourage you, and just like I have to encourage myself, if you're going through something right now that's breaking your heart, the Lord would say to you, rejoice in me. But God, I don't feel like rejoicing. It doesn't matter what you feel like. It matters what you understand and who you understand that you are you belong to me, that you are a citizen of mine. 
And I know the hurt. Jesus wept. Jesus' friends betrayed him. He knows what it's like to hurt. But you can still rejoice in the Lord. You don't put on a phony smile. In fact, please don't. You can cry and you can say, man, I'm hurting. But you can say, but I rejoice in the Lord because I have a hope that is sure I am a citizen of heaven. That cannot be taken away. And my heart breaks just like Jesus' heart broke for Jerusalem because they would not come to him. Our heart breaks for the loved ones and those we see who are hurting, who are in just a bad place. But we have reason to rejoice because God is good. And he is able to bring all things under control. He is just altogether. I have faith in him. I have reasons to rejoice. I don't understand everything. I don't understand most everything. But I know I can rejoice. I know I can rejoice. And so he tells them, again, I tell you, rejoice. And then some beautiful verses. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. I love that. Because how do you make gentleness evident? I mean, it's almost invisible in itself, you know. You can make your violence evident. That's easy. But how do you make gentleness evident to all? You know, it's got to be something that is a character of who you are. Make it evident to everyone. The Lord is near. And that's the reason that we are gentle. Because the Lord is near. It helps us to be aware. Again, do you understand that you're a citizen of heaven? Do you understand the Lord is near? I, I love it when our kids were small and the way they would behave and then when they would find out that you were there and you heard them and were listening, you know, they got caught in something where they're doing something they shouldn't be. They're throwing rocks, you know, at the neighbor, you know,'s house or whatever. And you're sitting there watching them, and you see that, and you go, hey, what are you doing? And then all of a sudden, like, you know, they get startled, and they drop the rock, and they're like, busted. It's like, if you knew I was here, you wouldn't do that, would you? Now, if you knew I was here, you would have that behavior. And the Lord is near. The Lord is near. I, I, one circumstance a friend uh, was talking to, is just dealing with a, a difficult situation. And in that situation, you know, it was told to them, well, I don't want you to tell anybody what I'm doing. Tell them this instead so that they won't think bad of me. And I just thought, this person's a follower of Christ. And I thought, the Lord is near. You know, but we, we get that way, don't we? I mean, that's how we are able to, to involve ourselves in things that we shouldn't, whether it's, you know, gossip or whether it's in, in something, you know, that just we know we shouldn't involve ourselves in. We, we give ourselves to there, and to do that, we have to get rid of the idea that the Lord is near. Get rid of the idea that God is, is there watching. I remember when I was in high school, just to be brutally honest with you guys, and I was a follower of Christ, and I remember I had bought a magazine. It was a Playboy magazine, and it was in my room. And I was looking at the magazine, and I thought, well, my parents aren't here, my mom's not here. And I remember the Lord very specifically saying, Sam, I'm here. And I remember just going, oh, 
you know, what do I do now? You know, I can't hide it under the bed. I mean, God sees everything, but there's that reality if we would just understand God is near. And if that would be a reality to us, it would affect our lives, but we don't allow it to. We, we distance ourselves from that understanding. And once again, we see that we are to be gentle in our conduct that all would see it because the Lord is near. And then he tells us, do not be anxious about anything. Now, if it ended there, we'd say, okay, that sounds impossible. Then he tells us how, but in everything, by prayer and petition. And the idea of petition is a special entreaty in times of personal need. Okay, it's, this is something that I, I have really need of right now. And so if you're going through one of these difficult times and you're finding it difficult to not be anxious and not be worried, the Lord says, well, you need to pray and entreat about that specific thing. You know, if it's your, your son, if it's your, you know, the health of your mom, if it's, you know, your finances, your job, and that one thing that's really causing you to be anxious, the Lord say, well, pray and entreat me about that thing. Come to me about that personal thing that you're dealing with. It. And I love it because it's not just, I'm going to throw out a prayer. It's like, God, this is it. I'm struggling with this. I'm coming to you with this. And you put a label on it, you name it, you highlight it, put a frame around it. Here it is, God. This is what it is that I'm having a difficult time with. This is what's causing me to worry. This is what's causing me to be anxious. And he says, then bring that to me with prayer and petition. With thanksgiving. There we go. There's that thanksgiving, the magic word. You see, because if you don't come with thanksgiving, you could have a bad attitude. Lord, I'm coming about this because I'm ticked off. Because this person has wronged me. Because this person has done this. I'm ticked off because this is unfair. I'm upset about this. I'm angry. I'm bitter. Whatever it is. And now what is your focus? It's you. It's you. Your focus isn't on the betterment of the situation. Your focus is on you. But you see, if you are thankful, changes everything. And so when that situation comes and, God, I lift up this that's really grieving my heart, and I'm doing it thankful. What are we thankful for? Back to the whole foundation. I'm a citizen of heaven. God listens to me. He's my heavenly father. All things are under his control. I have faith in you, and you're able to take care of this need, this problem, this difficulty. I have reason to rejoice. I have reason to be thankful because of who you are and because of who I am because of you. And so now my prayers and petitions have this umbrella of being thankful, giving with thanksgiving, present those requests to God. And then it says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I tell you, when we're going through hard times and difficult situations, when there are specific things that are tearing us down, 
Our hearts and minds need to be guarded. They so need to be guarded. Because it is so easy to get caught up in a situation and to be eaten alive by that situation. So easy. And everyone around you would say you have every right to be. That person did you wrong. That person doesn't care about you. They're ungrateful. You, the list can go on and on and on. And you can write that list out and all these things. And guess what? Now your heart and your mind start to get poisoned by bitterness. They start to be contaminated by the worry and by the... And pretty soon your, your focus is just here and you've lost the reality that you are a citizen of heaven, that God is in control and that Jesus has all these things and is able to bring them under his control. That is no longer a part of the equation. You've been breached. Your mind and your heart have been contaminated. And so the prayer petition with thanksgiving is able to guard our hearts and minds because God will give us that peace that is able to transcend those things. You know, what is your idea of peace? What does peace mean to you guys? Any thoughts? Huh? Utopia. Utopia? Not struggling? Settledness, being settled. I know a lot of times our, our idea of peace is like the the lack of something. It's like peace is not, you know, if we're not at war, then we're at peace. You know, or if there's not contention, you know, or fighting or arguing, then there's peace. But this isn't the lack of something. It's actually the right relationship to something. And, and that's important because... It's not just, well, there's the absence of these things, so therefore I, I'm at peace. In other words, the kids aren't giving me a hard time, work's going well, I'm at peace. You see, now our peace is based on externals. This has to do with your relationship with God. You see, the peace of God is what guards our hearts and mind. It, it, it doesn't matter about the externals, it's from God. In fact, peace is most known in those times of externals. You find yourself there when things are going crazy, and then you find, wow, I, I, I'm at peace. This is kind of weird. I should be freaking out right now. What's going on? And you find that God has, has given you peace. I, I used to love it, still kind of do, but when I was in high school and I got my first pickup truck, and it was an old Datsun before they became Nissan. Some of you guys will remember that. And it, the ignition switch wasn't really good, so I could start the car and then pull the key out, and then I could lock the car. And, and I liked that fact, you know, because I didn't have to have two keys. And what I liked about that is when I was working at this music store in Pomona on those real freezing cold California, you know, 40-degree, you know, evenings, they, those in North Dakota will be screaming at me right now. Um, I would go back inside and I would turn my car on and I'd turn the heater on full blast. And it would be outside. It might even be raining on one of those nights. It would just be a cold night. And I'd go in and I'd finish closing up the store. And then I'd run out and I'd just have my jacket on over my head because I liked to get in the car when it was freezing and not have a jacket on. 
it was just this idea of, yes, I, I'm cozy in my little car and I like to drive and it would be warm and toasty in my car, but it's raining and cold outside. And I have this feeling of, yes, I'm, I'm comfortable even though outside of me everything is uncomfortable. And the idea of the peace of God is something that outside circumstances can't affect what's happening in you. And that peace of God just peace of God is able to guard your heart and mind just like that little car was able to guard me from the rain and the elements you know and the peace of God is meant to do that and, and you guys we need this we so need this again we will be contaminated by the things of this world so easily if we don't allow these things to take place verse 8 it says finally brothers whatever is true Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now these verses, I mean, I always love these verses, but something that I just thought interesting as I was going through these things, usually we focus on the... The things that Paul is mentioning, you know, true, and the idea of true is the idea of true in thought, disposition, and deed, or noble, which means honest or worthy of honor. Those things that are right, um, that means just in any given situation, pure, it kind of speaks for itself, chaste, purity in general, lovely, pleasing, it's inspiring, it's worthy to be loved, admirable, has a good report. And then it's almost like he, he got tired of being so specifically, you know, just naming things. He just says, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, you know, it just seems like, okay, I'm going to cover it all. But one of the things that struck me about this little list of things is the word whatever. Because the word whatever means all. It might say whatsoever, but it really has to do, to do with the entire, all those things that are true. Now, it's not saying that everything is true, but all those things that are true. You see, because so many times we, we, we want to narrow down, well, this is what is true, the one thing. And we want the will of God to be, you know, that tightrope that we have to walk down. And, and this is the what thing is pure. And this is the what thing that is admirable. And we have a narrow vision, I think, a lot of times of what those things are. And really, this is a lot more encompassing. Whatever things are true. Whatever things are noble. Whatever things are right. And so there's a lot broader sense of what's taking place here. And I think of how we desire the will of God in our lives. And, and what does that look like? Because I, I believe we confuse so many times what God really cares about. We think God cares about some of the specifics and God's real fluid on some of those things. But then there are other things that God is real rigid on. That he doesn't budge. And here's one that I always get in trouble for, so I might as well share. Because it's one that's very passionate. Uh, the person you marry. Now, there's specifics that need to be there. You know, the Lord tells us in Scripture that they're to be a believer. There are certain things that are rigid in what's there. But so many times you get people, it's like, even on Facebook, there is 
one little dialogue I was having with someone, and they're saying, I just wonder, I want to find the right one. And it's like, there's that one person, and you know, what if they're in Ireland? You know, do I have to move to Ireland to find the right, right person? And we think God is so concerned about that one person. And here's what I think. I think God has given us the ability to make choices. He has created us with the ability to reason and understand the things that he's given us, the guidelines that he's given us. And the things that we desire, the things that we love, need to be the things that are involved in making the choices that we make regarding that person. And so God isn't, I mean, think about this. Would God make eternity something that you have to choose, but he's going to choose your wife? You understand what I'm saying? It's like I, eternity is your free will and your decision. You have to choose whether you will follow me or not, but I'll take care of your wife. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like, no, I think God has created us and wants us to make that choice. You're the person I want based on these reasons. But, and you see, I think God is food. Who do you want to marry? There's six billion people here. If you want to go to Ireland, that's fine. You can. Or if you want to stick around in Upland, that's fine. You can. If you want to meet someone at the church, that's fine. You can. I do have these guidelines. They need to be a person of faith. You need to use your reason and be wise in those things. But who do you want to marry? And so you say, oh, I want to marry Kareem. Well, you can't, but I did. You say, I want to marry Kareem. And God says, okay, now is when I'm going to get rigid. Because what I care about is how you behave in that marriage. I want you to be faithful. I want you to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now I am going to set some guidelines of how that is to take place. See what I mean? God gives us the freedom to make choices, but he cares a lot about how we live out those choices. And I think that includes our work as well. You know, we think, God, you know, what is the job you want for me, God? You know, I, I, I want to be a surgeon, you know, but your hand's like this, you know, like if you're a surgeon, you, you know, you can't be a surgeon, you can't even be a butcher. In fact, if you were a surgeon, you would be a butcher, you know, it's like, oh, what is the one thing God has for me? Well, I don't know that God cares about the one thing. You know, oh, I, I'm supposed to be an interior designer. I know it. That's why I love colors so much. Well, you can choose to be an interior designer, but when you make that choice, God cares about what kind of interior designer you are. That you have to be one that does things in truth, that has that idea of being honorable. You see what I'm saying? It's the character of who you are that God cares about that transfers into whatever is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy. See, because you can be a lawyer and have all these things. You can be a dog trainer and have these things be a part of those characteristics. Does God really care that I'm a dog trainer? Is that his focus? Sam, I really, all these years have been trying, that's why you love dogs. You know? Or is it, okay, you want to be a dog trainer? You need to be a dog trainer? Be a good one. Be honorable. 
do things in a way that honors me, that is praiseworthy. And I think that's an important distinction that we need to take because I believe that is really what Paul is addressing here. And why, why are these things important in all these areas of life? Why should they affect all these things of life? Because you are a citizen of his kingdom. And these things should be evident in whatever you do. See my point? They need to be a part of whatever. And so these things need to be a part of our lives and, and we need to understand these things. And Paul was that example. If you've seen these things, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Powerful words to be able to say. What an example he was. Encouragement for us to be that example. Okay, we're going to finish this. Let's read the, from verse 10 to the end of the chapter, and we'll touch on some of these things. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and even more, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an accept, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, your spirit. Amen. As Paul concludes this epistle, he kind of gives thanks for their gift. And it's an unusual thing, actually, in some ways, or it strikes me how he does this. Because if I heard anyone else do this the way Paul does, I'd be skeptical of them. I'd say, he's asking for money. But you don't get that impression for Paul. He, he talks about the fact that he was thankful for these things. But remember, again, our context here is the idea of being a participant of this heavenly kingdom. And so as Paul rejoices in the Lord about their giving of them, He's not rejoicing it just because he wants them to give him something, but because they are partnering with something that is bigger than just earthly things. And so we talked about the verses 12 you know, and 13 Sunday a little bit, where he says, I, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content 
in any and every situation, whether hungry or living with plenty or in want. What a great secret. What is the secret? I can do all things through Christ, through him who gives me strength. And Christ is implied there, even though in the New International it doesn't have his name. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Once again, we see that the importance is being connected to that citizenship. The recognition that if you're going to go through and be content wherever you are, you have to recognize that this world is not your home, that you are a citizen of heaven. That's the only way you can be content. <coughs> Bless you. And that's the only way you can receive the strength that's necessary. is through Christ, who's able to bring all things under control. Remember, we talked about that in chapter 3. He's able to bring all things under control, so even though the bills are pack, you know, stacking up, and even though the health is waning, even though I, I don't have the things that I would like, and even though I'm suffering need, and let's face it, none of us here in the United States really suffer need like they do in other areas. Well, there are some, but most of us don't. The large majority of us don't. You know, we talk about people who are, you know, on welfare and are just, you know, getting government subsidized, but they have TVs. You know, some have cable, and you're thinking, well, you know, if you go to other countries, they don't have roofs. You know, we're, we're talking a big difference here. And what Paul's talking about is those kinds of things, real poverty. He's talking about people being hungry, not having any food, not just, I couldn't get Starbucks this week because, you know, don't have enough, you know. He's talking about real needs. And so the idea here is I've learned to be content because I'm a citizen of heaven and Christ will provide my needs. Not my wants, but my needs. And I can trust him because that's where I belong, that's my citizenship, where it, I'm a citizen of. And, and all these things that he goes on about the, the accepting and giving how they were faithful. And this is their partnership with Paul. You know, Paul was making tents, but he was serving the Lord and they were helping him to do just that. They were saying, Paul, we want to give to you so that you can continue doing what you're doing. And Paul said, I'm grateful for that. You know, you, I'm grateful not just because of the gift, I'm grateful because of you wanting to see the gospel further. You wanting to see those things take place. And this is one of those scriptures where it gets awkward when you're a pastor and you receive a salary to talk about. So I'm not going to talk about it a whole lot. Um, you know, except I, I too am grateful for the, you know, the salary that I get. And I, I do look at it the same way that those who give want to see this work that we're doing continue. They want, you know, to continue seeing that the scriptures are taught and that we are involved with different areas of ministry and so it's something that is an, an investment in that kingdom. And that's really an important aspect to keep those things in mind. And as he closes this letter, you know, it's important to recognize that these things that they are doing, the giving of that they do, that they are able to do these things, it, it's what they've been called to do. It, it's, it's their identity as citizens of heaven. It's our identity as followers of Christ. These things that we've talked about, the, the characteristics, the gentleness to all, that list of, you know, being, you know, those things that are true, noble, right, pure, uh, 
lovely, admire, admirable, all those things, these are our characteristics. And wherever we find ourselves in, whatever job venue we find ourselves in, how we conduct ourselves with friends, family, coworkers, this is who we are. And it's to be evident, you know, the kingdom of heaven has come down and we are a part of it and it affects how we live. The kingdom of heaven has come to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And we are followers of Christ and as his followers, we are his ambassadors, representatives. And so we represent this new kingdom and this is how we represent it. And these are the things that are supposed to be a part of our lives and how we conduct ourselves and how people see Jesus through us. And it's supposed to affect every area of our lives. Some rich stuff, rich stuff. Let's close in prayer and we can hang out for a little bit. Lord, I do thank you for just your words and for the scriptures that are so inspiring, so powerful, Lord, that speak to the depths of our souls, Lord, and reveal who you are, your majesty, your love, your wisdom. And Lord, these things that we've read and, and been encouraged by, we pray, Lord, that they would be a part of who we are, Lord, that we would have just this awareness of your kingdom, of our citizenship, that we would be mindful of those things and that they would affect every area of our life, God. That we would recognize, God, that you have created us to represent you. And Lord, might we do that in every area of our lives. I pray, God, that you would bless all those here. The, the hardships that I am aware of, Lord, I lift up to you, Lord. Those that we love, our family members who are not doing well. Lord, we pray that you would, again, enlighten them, strengthen them, bring them to an awareness of who you are, their need for you, Lord. For those who are Ill, Ill we pray for strength, Father. We pray for healing. We pray for your will in those areas, God. Lord, we thank you for being in control and loving and caring. Lord, we are so grateful. We rejoice in you. And we have reason to pray and be thankful. Father, we are glad and we are thankful for you. Bless this time we have now just with one another, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.